This episode and every episode of the Beer Guys Radio Show is brought to you by Ironmonger Brewing. Visit Ironmonger at their taproom in Marietta, Georgia, or online at ironmongerbrewing.com. Open up a tab, grab a seat, and pour a pint. It's time for the Beer Guys Radio Show. You want free beer? Go to the brewery. Dedicated to the art, science, and enjoyment of craft beer. Yo, what's wrong with the beer we got? Now, here are your hosts, Tim Dennis and Brian Hewitt. And welcome to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We are broadcasting from the Beer Guys Radio Studios in Marietta, Georgia. This week, we're talking classic American craft beer. Tim is out this week, but I'm here with Nate, a.k.a. No Mike Nate, a.k.a. Nate Ellingson, Nathan Ellingson. Nate, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, Brian. How you doing? I am sitting in the chair with a microphone, and it's a little strange, but this week we've got No Mike Tim in the studio. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of a weird moniker, but uh, it works. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's uh, working out well. This week we've got Adam Silverberger. Adam Silverberg, I'm you got sorry. It. You nailed it the first Owner time. Owner and chief patron of the Nest in Kennesaw. Adam, how you doing? I'm doing great, guys. That's my favorite title, I think. Chief patron. Chief patron. Number one patron. Yeah, I spend a lot of time sitting at the bar. Yeah, you know what? That's the nice thing about having a business like that is you want to enjoy the product that you produce or you pour, So, right? I right. Mean, Can you tell that to my doctor? Because he doesn't like that I sit there all day. <laughs> well, yeah, his job is to tell you what not to do. Your job <laughs> is to do what you like to do. So you're going to have a little, you know, you know, butt heads on that. So... Guys, classic American craft beer. What are your thoughts about that? What got you into craft beer? What beer really nailed it for you? That's my big question for you. We'll start with you, Adam. What beer nailed it for me? That's a deep thought. And I I think the brain cells that can answer that question are probably long gone. We have a Sam Adams Boston Lager sitting on the table right now, and that was probably a first for a lot of people. Uh, Here in Atlanta, you can't talk about craft beer without talking about Sweetwater. That's true. Um, And I have fond memories of my time to Sweetwater and at what was once was Red Brick Brewing, now Atlanta Brewing Company. So many fuzzy memories of those places and how much fun we have. But yeah, Sam Adams was probably the first one I went to. You think so? All right, yeah. How about you, Nate? You know, for me, my first craft beer ever was a Sweetwater brew. It was Sweetwater Blue, actually. But I would say my gateway craft beer was Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. That's the one that got That's me the one that really into got all you the hooked. hoppy stuff. It's the one that got me into the crazier lane of beer outside of the wheat beer. So my story with it's interesting because I grew up in Portland. It wasn't beer was kind of a more normal thing. You went to places and they made beer. So we were talking microbreweries back at the time, not craft beer. But I didn't have a specific one that I recall off the top of my head. It was probably Henry Weinhardt's, but the, probably the one that really nailed it for me that really got me hunting beer and really thinking about craft beer was Henry Weinhardt's had a a seasonal that they did one time. It was a hazelnut brown, and I love that beer. That beer was so great. I got into Bridgeport at a certain point later on, Bridgeport, the ESB. I really like that. And there was a red thistle ale from a local brewery in my college town, which doesn't get outside of that college town, I don't think. But uh, those ones probably did it for me. But that hazelnut brown ale that Henry Weinhardt did back in the day, seasonal back in, we're talking like 99 or 2000, before seasonals were even a thing. So it was kind of a revolutionary concept. I'm like, oh, my goodness, beer can be amazing, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, especially back in 98, who was making beer with any sort of nut included to it? You know, because I got into drinking a little bit later, and so I was already, by the time I started drinking, some of that crazier stuff or some of those more adjunct heavy beers were already around. 
And so it's kind of revolutionary to me to hear from 98 when I was nine that they were making beers with nuts in them. I also have to mention, though, around that time, the uh, the Oktoberfest were just starting to hit. And so I, I believe it was Sam Adams' Oktoberfest. Absolutely. That may have been the second beer that I chased in any quantity because I had it the one time. And I'm like, this is the greatest beer I've ever had. So I went out. Of course, I had no concept of Oktoberfest and schedules or anything like that. So I bought it up, and then it disappeared. I'm like, oh, man, I wish they would bring that back. Well, it's silly me. They did bring it back. It just takes a year, you know? That's a good memory. I certainly remember chasing that beer when it first came, like seeing it in the store for the first time. Oh, there's that orange box. It's such We're a game changer. It. Yeah, and it, to my eyes, it looks about the same as it ever has, which is probably a good thing. That's what uh, draws your attention to it. Any other interesting beer memories you guys have? I remember spending time at bars that used to do the passports and the beer clubs and all those types of things. Those really got them going here in Atlanta, I think, probably more than I care to admit. But I remember some bad ones, too. Like the first time I ever had a – I may be wrong and I may offend people, but Old Speckled Hen still sticks in my head as, like, the worst thing I ever drank. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I remember that beer, and I actually kind of liked it. It, Did that come in, like, the clear glass bottle? Because I think that I had it on draft. Oh, then there's yeah. this, no excuse. Was it skunked? Because I think I remembered it having some skunkiness to it. Back then, I wouldn't have known. Yeah. <laughs> so I've never, I've never had it before. What kind of beer is that? Bad. Is okay. it, <laughs> Fair a, enough. Enough said. It was it like an English amber? Probably. I'm not 100% sure on the style, but I liked Old Speckled Hen. I, I, have I should to try it again. You should give it a shot, but as I recall, with the clear glass bottles don't do much for protecting it from light struckness, and it, it, it's got to travel across the pond, so... There's ample opportunity for it to pick up some funkiness on its, gotcha. on its journey. So, uh, Nate, I think it's time for us to get into the beers of the week. Now it's time for our beers of the week. Brought to you by The Nest. Craft beer and barbecue in downtown Kennesaw, Georgia. TheNestKennesaw.com. Well, Brian, we want to thank The Nest for sponsoring this segment. And what do you know? We've got Adam from The Nest with us here in studio today. Adam, what's happening at The Nest? Well, The Nest is back to full capacity. We survived COVID, almost back to full staff, which is a real big thing to say these days. Really, what we're excited about the most of The Nest is Nestoberfest coming up in October. This is a Nestoberfest, Oktoberfest-style beer festival sporting bottle share. Tickets are on sale now. Check us out on Facebook, and you'll find it. Cool. Right right on. Sounds good. All right. This week, we are doing Classic American Craft Beer. Joining us at the uh, menu, we've got Anchor Steam, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, New Belgium Fat Tire, Dogfish Head 90-Minute IPA, and right now we're enjoying some Sam Adams Boston Lager. And there's a bunch more, and I don't even know if we'll get to all of them. Probably not, but we'll give it a good effort. I always buy too many beers. I really do, because I want all the options. I want all the beers, too. I can't blame you for that. All right, now let's see what's happening in the news. What's in the news? The beer guys have the scoop. Extra, extra, read all about it. Time for headlines. All right, so and the award for the most timely story of the week goes to Paps Blue Ribbon for introducing the 1776 pack, and that isn't just a name. According to the press release, the 1776 pack will contain 1,776 beers and also, quote, an infinite amount of freedom, all the freedom you can pack in a box that size. For uh, those doing the math, that is 7424 packs. The limited edition pack was released on the 29th. And uh, though it's not clear yet where you can get a hold of one, the word is there will be a chance to win one in the future through contests and other interesting partnership arrangements. But uh, in the meantime, you can be satisfied with the 99 pack, which has just made a return. So 99 beers instead of 776 beers. I, I hope you guys can get by with that. 
Are you going to put a dispenser in the nest on the wall so we can say it's 99 cans of beer on the wall? I think I want to get one in my kitchen, just ready to rock. Are you I, sure your doctor would be okay with that? No. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't tell the doctor this. It's not that you take it to the office with you when you're getting the checkup. Hey, Doc, you want a, you want a beer off of my 76? You have 99 Just pack? one, though. Yeah. Just, just one. one. I, I've only got 99 left. So, yeah, I, I love the idea. I want to get the 99 pack. I don't even know. They showed the 1776 pack on the back of a pickup truck, and it looked like it took up the entire bed of the pickup truck so that's a lot of beer a lot of pbr all right so brew dogs in the news yet again with something scandalous apparently brew dogs solid gold beer can isn't solid gold surprise surprise according to the guardian the man who won the can reports that the can is gold plated that's about three microns thick and for the most part it's just brass so apparently that is not worth 15,000 pounds or about 20,000 or 21,000 U.S. dollars as it was said to be. It's probably actually closer to being in the neighborhood of about $700 in value. During the promotion, which ended in March, people were reportedly loading up on cases of the beer to find the golden can. And this guy was planning on using that can to finance his wedding uh, plans, his, all of his travel and everything. After talking to some gold traders even if the can was solid gold, the actual value would probably not be much more than about $13,000. So uh, BrewDog is standing by their estimate, which includes the rarity and uniqueness of the cans in their calculations. So, yeah, that's just a scandal again for BrewDog. Yeah, that's unfortunate to hear. Well, it's time for a break. We'll be back soon with more from Classic American Craft Beer. thought about owning your own brewery but don't know what it takes to get one built we're storytime construction and we build breweries we're georgia's most experienced and hands-on contractors when it comes to building new breweries and tap rooms or expanding existing breweries we offer full build outs remodeling and additions as well as consulting and construction management give us a call at 770-733-4343 storytime construction we build breweries Looking for a perfect afternoon beer, a feel-good weeknight beer with your dinner, or a great beer for whenever you don't want alcohol? Look no further than Athletic Brewing. They've won awards on multiple continents and are revolutionizing anything you've ever thought about non-alcoholic beer. Check out their website at athleticbrewing.com for a store closest to you or order online with free shipping nationwide. Athleticbrewing.com. Use code BEERGUYS25 to get 25% off your first round on us. guys on facebook twitter and instagram now back to the beer guys radio show Shake it back. welcome back to beer guys radio show remember all episodes are available on demand so if you miss the broadcast get the podcast beer guys radio is available on all popular and unpopular podcasting apps now let's get back to classic american craft beer so guys getting into this uh next segment who do you think about when you think og craft beer like the original squad of craft beer 
you got them on the table right here. <laughs> well, the, yes, yeah. we do have a little bit of a cheat here. We we did open up an Anchor Steam beer. Anchor's up. That's right. Anchor's I, I, up. Yeah, I mean that the story of of Anchor is this American craft beer at its finest. I'm more familiar with the Southern crafts, but I mean you got to mention Sierra Nevada. Sure. Yeah. Uh, we already mentioned Sweetwater, Sam Adams, of course. Of course, yes. Of course. There, there's big ones we're missing out there. There's ones that I don't even know because they never left their states before they went out of business. That's true. That's a good point. Got, yeah. A lot of people bring up New Albion. They started in, I think, 76 or something like that. They didn't survive, but I think they are credited with creating maybe not the first, but one of the very first American-style IPAs out there. So we, we do hear about that. There's just so dogfish many Dogfish Head. Dogfish you Head. can't forget Dogfish Head. Of course, they're now with Sam Adams. I almost kind of think of them as being kind of the second part of the second wave. In fact, you know, Sam Adams definitely part of the first. I always think of Dogfish Head as kind of coming in that dividing line in craft beer where we had the late 90s where things kind of took a hit. But then out of that, though, technically Dogfish Head did start before that happened. They didn't really get going until after that happened. So I mean, we got to mention, too, Highland Brew out of uh, yeah. North Carolina. Highlands, yeah. They've for been around sure. for over 25 years. There's just so many. It's it's hard to even go over all of them. It's, and Nobody it gets touches bi- Anchor. Yes. No. That's the cool thing about Anchor. I looked into that a fair amount for this, and uh, that story is pretty amazing. The guy... Fritz Maytag didn't right. start Anchor, but he was a big fan of the brewery, and he had some, you know, he had a good inheritance. He had some some Maytag money, some family money, and uh, he heard that they were having trouble. They were circling the drain, potentially going to go out of business. He's like, "Hey, I'm going to invest." So he bought 51 percent of the company, thinking, "All right, I'll be involved in this. I'll save a beer that I love. I'll advise him." Well, pretty quickly, creditors came after him because, well, there was they needed some money, and uh, he had some money, and he was the owner. So. The way I read it, he almost immediately got into like improving the quality of the beer to increase sales. And uh, from what I read, it took him like a decade to actually break even or start turning a profit. But he came out with so many crazy firsts. I mean, just think Anchor Steam, a first American craft beer, you know, generally acknowledged 1971. The Anchor Liberty Ale, the first modern IPA, 1975. Anchor Christmas, the first seasonal beer, 1975. And he's also credited with the first American Porter in 1972. So all of these firsts, like when you think about it, it's like I had no idea. I knew that they they were early on and they really set the bar, but they really came up with a lot of stuff. It blows my mind. And uh, how often do you guys wind up drinking an Anchor? Do you even see them around very often? I mean, this is my first Anchor Steam in... As long as I can remember. And we even had a, is that a? Yeah, another one, yeah. Hazy IPA over there. I didn't even know they made hazy IPAs. Right. You know, that's funny. I saw that on the shelf. I was looking for Anchor, and I struck out where I was at, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. They're getting into the hazy IPA game. And like, oh, that's weird. It turns out that they were one of the pioneers in dry hopping beers. They were dry hopping beers back in the 70s and early right. 80s before anybody even heard the term. It's so, amazing to me how much these craft brewers have affected the industry as a whole. Oh, and, yeah. And, I mean, what it's done to the big boys out there and the, the innovations they've had to make. And they, they were making products that people didn't know about yet. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, people didn't drink IPAs out of nowhere. I mean, I guess you can probably dig back into World War II and people came back, you know, craving these beers that they experienced in other parts of the world. But really, I mean, they were making stuff that they didn't know people were going to buy. Yeah, and I got to say, too, I mean, talking about craft beer versus macro, it is a little strange drinking Anchor Steam out of a can, and craft beer and cans go hand in hand. It does now. Now, yeah. True. That's recent. And due to a, another pioneer in craft beer, Dale's Pale Ale, 
Right. So yeah. before that, and that was exclusively only ever Oscar Blues. Got to get the name in there right. Only ever in cans, and it kind of normalized it. Before that, everybody thought, you remember the days, like, oh, you don't want cans. Mm-hmm. Bad beer goes into cans. Good beer goes in glass. Right. Now it's completely Everything's the opposite. in the can. Yeah, now it's the only reason people are doing glass right now is because we've had can shortages yeah. <laughs> because they're, it's so popular. So it's amazing how things change over the years. Although I will say this, so I'm a retailer and I do still get customers coming in saying like, oh, I don't want that in a can. It has that metallic flavor to it. And in the entirety of my lifetime, at least in the entirety that I've been drinking in my lifetime, I've never had that metallic flavor out of a can because of the can. Now, I've had it in beers before, but that's because of an off flavor. Yeah, that's definitely something that, that it can occur when you brew improperly. Gets I think I need infection. to bring him an old Budweiser. Yeah. <laughs> well, and they old. used to, uh, <laughs> th- I don't think they used to have the same kind of lining yeah. inside the cans back in the day as they do now. It's like a, I think it's like a glass lining or something, some interesting polymer or something like that. But uh, man, so back in those days, back anchor in the old times, 70s. There were less than 100 breweries in the U.S. at one point in time. 1978, there was just like 89, apparently. Wow. It's amazing to think how far down it went. That's at the very beginning of craft beer. Now we've got 8,884 as of 2020, the, uh-huh. the latest figure I saw on that. And it wasn't until 2015 that the brewery count exceeded the number of breweries that were here in the U.S. in 1873. So that shows you how much... Beer in general dropped in the U.S. in the uh, 20th century, you know, and the late 19th century. So it's it's pretty devastating. So 4,131 breweries in 1873. You would never have imagined there were that many breweries in the U.S. in that that period of time. So were they craft? I I think they would qualify if they were around (laughs) today because there were neighborhood stuff. It wasn't consolidated. So I mean, at least microbreweries. Do you think that number dropped because of prohibition? Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah. obviously, the, I was looking at a line, and, and it drops to the floor during Prohibition, and uh, it takes a long time to recover from that. Breweries, you can't stop making beer and still stay afloat, and then 13 years later, oh, you know, hey, Turn now we can sell on. beer. Turn yeah. up the taps. No, everybody's gone. Everything's sold. So Well, and also, like, the legislation didn't support breweries anymore. I mean, look at Georgia. It wasn't until 2015 when we were able to start doing some to-go beers from our breweries, and now, I mean, it's great that we have that modern day take on you know what you can get away with going to a brewery but coming right out of prohibition you know 13 years after the fact i'm sure breweries just were completely stonewalled from going into anywhere and now we're spoiled like oh you, yeah. you can't keep track of which ones are out there now you look at a board somewhere and it's it's new beers every day yeah it's one of those things yeah there's a little bit of analysis paralysis or option fatigue or something you go in there and you're like Boy, I used to be really into that. I'd have it just because it's new, but now I kind of want, I just want a Pilsner. Let me yeah. just get a Pilsner. <laughs> right. yeah. There it is. Yeah. And I guess we should talk a little bit about Sam Adams. We have it here on the table. They were founded in 1984. They're hugely supportive of the craft beer industry and, and home brewers. You know, they've got the home brewer pack and they've uh, helped people out when there have been hop shortages and a lot of things like that. But uh, they took on big beer in the 1990s and won. And uh, I was reading about it. I had no idea. I'm not surprised, though, but Jim Cook uh, made the Forbes 400 list with an estimated $2.6 billion net worth. Not bad for a guy who started off homebrewing. I guess his story was the family had a lager recipe, and he's like, I can make this, and I can beat the big guys at it. And he he was right. You know, he's right. And uh, 
it's not really my style of beer anymore, but it's still a solid beer. It still holds up. He pretty sells well. a lot of it, and he really does. Yeah. Now I got to say, a lot of his wealth now comes from uh, the hard sell cider or hard seltzer. Sure. But uh, yeah, that's a guy that knows how to pivot to uh, to you know, changes in the environment, man. And we also we can't uh, miss talking a little bit about Sierra Nevada here in the OG school. We've got uh, they did the, the the Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, which is you know revolutionary, a lot of people's introduction. But they're also credited with uh, Tim's one of Tim's favorites, the first American barley wine, Bigfoot, nineteen eighty three, American style barley wine. If only Tim were here, he could tell us how much he really loves it. Have you guys had Bigfoot recently? I yeah, I have. Yeah, it's. It's I'm not a barley wine guy, <laughs> yeah. but it's good. It's uh, I like them. I like Bigfoot aged is what I found. Yeah. It's uh, pretty intense when it's fresh. All right, Brian, it's time for a break. We'll be back soon with more from Classic American Craft Beer. overlook the cheap stuff that's the idea behind our podcast good swill hunting we've got a beer insider a beer outsider and a guy who's going to shoot it to you straight we try it all some ain't bad i would i'm going to finish this and i drink another matt what do you think I'm, I'm digging it others might leave a bad taste in your mouth it feels like beer for people who want to feel like they're drinking craft beer first sip and pressure you got yeah it. it's a letdown it's not something i would want to wake up with is that something you normally do i like to have a cold beer to kind of rinse out that morning breath oh, okay we try <laughs> the cheap beer so you don't have to check out good swill hunting wherever you get your podcast have you visited Ironmonger Brewing recently? Take a trip and see the newly renovated and spacious tap room, or enjoy the outdoors in their new beer garden with plenty of seating and shade to ease that summer sun. Ironmonger's tap room has a variety of craft beer and hard seltzer on tap, with wine and spirits coming soon. Ready for a bit of adventure? Try out axe throwing with Ironmonger's 16 target range. It's a perfect spot for some quick fun or to host your next party or corporate event. So grab your friends and have some fun today at Ironmonger Brewing. Follow the Beer Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Next Friday is Hawaiian Shirt Day. So, you know, if you want to, go ahead and uh, wear a Hawaiian shirt and jeans. Now, back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. And welcome back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. I want to give a quick shout-out to one of our great radio affiliates, KBDB HD3 96.7 FM in Forks, Washington. Catch Beer Guys Radio and KBDB every Saturday at 2 p.m. local time. Now let's get back to classic American craft beer. So to start things off, we talked about the OGs of craft beer. Who do you think about when you think about kind of the second wave, the people following that? Because that OG group is in a, it's in a group of its own, a crowd of its own. It's kind of a rarefied air with beer. But there's big guys that are not, they're a different era than today. You know what I'm saying? So I would count Stone in on that. I would say Stone definitely brought about the big we're talking like IBU chasers like for hop sure. bomb chasers for Ooh. the second wave so like New Belgium New Belgium Stone um Lagunitas yeah i would i would include I'd, in that I'd count them in there for a while they just owned the IPA game i think they, they i think they grabbed it away from Stone in fact i think Stone owned it and then Lagunitas just snatched it right away from a like Sierra Nevada that. Pale was my first pale ale 
Lagunitas Hop Stupid was my first IPA. Oh, wow. That's that's quite a jump. That's yeah. quite the jump. So how long until your second IPA? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you had any more IPAs? Have you experimented <laughs> at all with those? I think I can taste hops again now. <laughs> so then you got the the places out Colorado. Avery comes to mind. Oh, sure. Uh, Russian River out that way on the West Coast. Oh, man, it started growing quick, didn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, during the 90s, uh, in the era going up towards the uh, the the, boot, uh, the bust in, like, 97, they had a few years where breweries were growing by, like, almost 60% a year. I mean, it, it was huge. It went from, like, in the 70s, like, a, in the like in the 100s to being 1,500 or something like that by 95. I think that's about the, the area, maybe even higher than that, a couple of thousand. It, it grew a lot. And we can't leave out in this group Dogfish Head. No. I mean, they're kind of a big part of it. I, you know what? I think that Dogfish Head and uh, Stone were not only are they a big part of that like second wave, but they were huge portion of kind of like an extreme beer movement where to differentiate yourself from everybody else out there, you had to go big. You had to you had to pick something new, something extreme, a lot of hops, a lot of adjuncts, a lot of alcohol. That's this whole phase in there where. Well, they even had an extreme beer fest, you know, that they came out that started uh, towards the tail end of that that whole extreme thing. Do you miss those days? Do you guys miss those days of just extreme crazy beers? Are you? Cool? I don't think they're over. I'm gonna say, are we missing them? I think we still have those. Yeah, I don't know if it's quite the same. Now, our extreme now is we just pick something and do it to death, like fruit in a beer. Skittles. We do that to death. Well, that's a good point. That's a good point. I guess we still have some of that left over. I. I thought we were more kind of like we obsess on something and we just do it to death, like lactose and everything, you know, hazy everything, you know, dry seltzer hop everything, everything. Yeah, seltzer, seltzer everything. everything, fruit everything. That's crazy to see how things have gone. I guess we never really got out of the extreme. We just got a little bit more narrow-minded about how we're extreme about Well, it things. just shifted to a new beer style. I mean, you saw it with IPAs and you saw it with the big beer competition, brewing competition, where... You know, we had a very narrow lane for IPAs, and now it's a very wide lane for IPAs. And True. you're getting that with sours. You're getting that with stouts. You're getting that with all these different beer styles because that extreme is now shifting into these different beer styles. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I well, mean, now you have an element of freshness in the IPA game. Mm-hmm. And that was oh, never yeah. there before. I mean, a fresh IPA is so much better than an old one. I mean, it's, it's I mean, you know, you start talking about the old Sierra Nevadas or even the first Sweetwaters, and those stuff would sit in the store for a while. Oh, yeah. But now draft, I mean, a fresh IPA, nice and citrusy, man, I'm not going to turn that down. It crushes. You know, that that does remind me back in the day when I first got into the Atlanta area. I was like, eh, I, I, I wasn't that into IPAs at the time. I thought they were a little overdone, a little, little overbold, a little over bitter. And uh, a buddy of mine who was also kind of more into the uh, – at the time with me, like the, the darker, richer beers, he said, well, if you go to Sweetwater, you have to have the IPA there. You have to have it fresh. I'm like, oh, really? Okay. I had it. You know what? It makes a difference. It does. And the idea of freshness with, I mean, people always talked about, oh, make sure you get fresh beer, but it didn't mean anything. But with the IPA game, it, it became a thing. And I don't know exactly when we all became aware of it, but now I obsessively check can dates and I won't buy something off a warm shelf if it doesn't have a date on it that I can verify it's not been there for three months, you know? Unfortunately, some of the beers we may have picked up for the show because, yeah, they may sit around. You can't always be 100% sure, but a lot of these aren't IPAs, which is an interesting thing. When you think about all the beers we've come up to so far, a lot of these haven't been IPAs. 
So it's it's interesting that IPAs, when did they really, really take over? I guess is with the second wave, right? Yeah, I would say so. And the other nice thing I, I think that it imparts is that you have a more well-informed customer base. You have customers who know what they like, but they also know about freshness, and they know that fresh is best, and that's when you should be drinking these beers. Yeah. I don't know. I think beer people are full of it. <laughs> <laughs> they are a little proud, Sad aren't they? That's one of them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. You know, and I think with the the whole extreme crazy and the second wave, this is this is the era where people started becoming geeky about beer. I don't think in the 90s. I know for a fact I was not geeky about beer. I went to the uh, Portland Beer Festival, and they had a little setup where they showed you the grain and the hops and, and all that stuff. And in those days, in the late 90s, I couldn't care less. I'm like, I remember looking at that. And I'm like, I'll never remember any of this stuff. <laughs> I'm just here to drink some beer. But uh, you had these extreme beers come out, especially that there was some limitation to them. Geeks arose, and they, they swamped to this. And uh, you have the idea of collecting an aging beer that, that started oh. growing up in I know we talked earlier, Adam. You've got an issue with cellared beers too. I do. Right? Yeah, yeah I, I have to stop doing it. it they, they'll, they'll explode. That's one problem. Yeah, you got to be careful <laughs> of that. But most beer is not meant to be aged. I mean, unless you've got some like crazy, like I don't know, some stout or porter that was aged by monks. You know, that's really meant to go on and on and on. No, drink that beer. Drink it when it's fresh. So, Nate, do you sell her any beers? So, I do sell her my beers. Now, it has been whittled down because I've been very conscious about trying to pull it back. Not. Nope through your recommendation, but because I'm just spending too much money on beer. There's that too. If that's such a thing. But at least I'm not aging my IPAs. <laughs> Although Stone and Joy After is a thing. It is. Yeah, but, true. but you're supposed to enjoy it shortly after. Okay. Not you know. like three years after the fact. Right. No. So that Stone and Joy After from 2015, I should probably do something with it? I mean, I'll try it with you. <laughs> it should at least pour it. Before you pour it into the drain, pour a little into your mouth and make sure it's uh, it, it's gone off. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not going to kill you. Yeah, just don't stick the bottle in there too far. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so the whole collecting thing, the idea of waiting in lines for beer, it just... The white whales. Yeah, the unicorns. This is when this all started happening, and it seemed like it just kind of spontaneously happened. I think a lot of this, it feels like that kind of thing, the whole unicorn, the chasing the whales, kind of hit like 2010-ish, like right around that period of time. Up until that point, you didn't have a concept of that. Yeah, and the laws were so different state to state. People could make different beers at different times, different ABVs, different ingredients, different distributions. And so people would make road trips to go get those beers and bring them back. That's kind of how I got into the beer business was, you know, going and buying these beers from other states and coming back here and, you know, sharing like them an- with our friends. Yeah. <laughs> a, little, yeah. a little Smokey and the Bandit Smokey moment for Smokey and us. the Bandit over there yeah. running from Johnny Law. I have to say with, with a lot of the cellaring thing, I think looking back on it, because you didn't have nearly as much of a, a richness of available beers as now, I kind of hoarded. I bought stuff not sure. purely to cellar, but because this is not going to be around for very long, I want to have a bunch of it. And now I look in my cellar and I've got stuff I'm like, that should have been had five years ago. I, right. I don't even know what I'm doing with that. But that's know? the thing about like nowadays when you're getting craft beer producers and they're making a one-time thing, a limited-time offer, you kind of feel obligated to hoard them a little bit. You kind of feel like, oh, I'm going to have one now, I'm going to have one tomorrow, but maybe I'm going to have two tomorrow or I'm going to have two now or I'm going to share them with my friends. That second one is always so good. Yeah. And you never want to finish the last bottle of any of those. That's the thing. It's some special beer you get two bottles of. You get into one, like, all right, this is a good enough occasion, but you got that one left. I'm like, 
yeah, but if I drink that, it's gone forever. But if I don't, it's going to go bad. So that's, that's the dilemma right there. Yeah. All right, Brian. Well, it's time for another break, and we'll be back soon with more from Classic American Craft Beer. and Tim, the beer guys. If you're like us, no lunch or dinner is complete without a pint or two of craft beer. Which is why Truck and Tap in downtown Woodstock, Alpharetta, and Duluth are always on our list. Tim, why do they call it Truck and Tap? Well, the tap part is easy, Brian. They've got 18 of them. As for the truck part, that's where it gets interesting. Truck and Tap features your favorite Atlanta area food trucks, so you're getting a different menu every day. Truck and Tap in downtown Woodstock, Alpharetta, and Duluth. Truckandtap.com. Let them know that the beer guys sent you. Patio season is here, and the nest in Kennesaw, Georgia, has plenty of outdoor space for you to enjoy a cold beer and some tasty barbecue. They've got 48 taps of great beer, wine, cider, and even hard seltzers, plus an impressive craft cocktail list, so there's something for everyone. If you're ready for some friendly competition, head over every Tuesday for trivia, or relax and take in the local talent with live music every Wednesday and Sunday. Enjoy the great weather while you can. Grab your friends and head to the nest in Kennesaw, Georgia. guys on facebook twitter and instagram roger roger what's our back there victor now back to the beer guys radio show welcome back to the beer guys radio show if you enjoy the show please consider supporting us on patreon just go to patreon.com slash beer guys patrons get cool perks like beer guys swag and commercial free episodes now let's get back to classic american craft beer but before we get too far into that i've been running my mouth we've been running our mouth give us a little bit of an update from the nest uh, you were running your mouth. I was having a blast. So okay, just yeah. sitting here having a good time. But thank you. Uh, you know, you mentioned something about how craft beer became geeky. Yes, and, and it did. And you know, probably in the food and beverage industry, the two biggest geek crowds have to be craft beer. Yes, and barbecue. They go hand in hand. Yeah, and for some reason at the Neskinesaw, we decided to go after both those markets at the same time, and we're still alive. Here Overachievers. We are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, everybody's got preconceived notions, and those flavors. What you talk about, it's all nostalgia, and everybody's got this preconceived notion, and you're always wrong. But you know, we're we're really proud of where we are. We we just hit our five year mark. Um, we've got a whole new leadership team in place. We got a new executive chef, new sous chef. We've got new GMs coming into place. I've heard multiple beer reps sitting at our bar talking about how our beer list is the best it's ever been. Oh, okay. uh, and I, I attribute that to our new staff and just the passion that they brought back into it and their ability to work with us. And, and then we were talking about it in the break that Georgia is not a place where it's hard to find craft beer anymore. And, and we're spoiled. You can come to the Nest Kennesaw anytime you want to, and you got 48 beers up there on the board, and they're all good choices. Absolutely. I mean, the, the largest brand that's on that board is I keep Guinness on Nitro. You got to have Guinness on Nitro. You have to, yeah. It's sitting there. So, but everything else up there is 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 local. It's southeastern. Occasionally, you'll see an import, but for the most part, it's all just great local craft beer. And what I love about it more than anything is the community that it inspires. And the Nest is all about community, and craft beer is all about community. We want to get together and share those beers, and it's a great place to do it. The patio is open. All the restaurants are open. Uh, it, it's just it's a fun place to hang out. If you haven't been there before, it's worth the drive from wherever you are. 
Yeah, what I really like about the place, I've always loved your beer list. I think your beer list is great. And you've had some interesting st- stuff in bottles that you don't even notice. You're looking at the tap list. I'm like, oh, you've got some fun stuff in bottles too. But I like that you've kind of got every kind of environment you want. You've got the outdoor porch you can hang out in next to the fire pit. You can be in the, the kind of the hip bar area with your buddies drinking craft beer. Or you go over to the private dining section and have a, have a nice meal. Right. So it's, yeah. it's all of the all the stuff together. I like that. And it's, thanks to Kennesaw, you can grab a beer to go. And oh, walk yeah. around, and we, we fill growlers now. It, it's really got something for everybody. That's great. Well, and That's the great thing, too, about the Ness is a very rarely will I bring somebody who's never been there before, but every single time we leave, they're like, oh, my God, I need to go back there. I'm going to bring all my friends. I can't believe I never knew this place existed. Right. I appreciate, I appreciate hearing that. I love that. I love hearing stories when I run into people that have been there before. It's Everybody dreams about opening a bar, right? It's like oh, at some sure. Point. So for us, oh, yeah. for, for my family and my partners, it's a dream come true for us, and, and I think it comes through in, in the service we provide. So we're coming up on our holiday weekend, the 4th, 4th of July, Independence Day. What are you guys drinking? Are you opening any special bottles for this weekend? Are you, you know, getting into anything unusual? It's a good reason for it, huh? Yeah, Maybe we should right. get one of those 1,776 cans going. Yes, yeah, yeah the 1776 yeah. pack. Yeah. Personally, I, I have a keg from Variant ready to go this weekend. I got a, I got a keg of their Canton Street, the IPA there. That's great. Now, some people say that's a little much for a party. It's 6.5%-ish. I say that's the best way to throw a party. I've got that ready to go. Do they make beer less than that Apparently. Anymore? Yeah. Apparently. I don't think we have any here. Yeah, I don't think so either. That's not beer. That's bourbon. So. Yeah. <laughs> hey, oh. that's, all, that's all American, though. That's right. It looks it looks like it could be beer, but that's definitely bourbon. How about you, Nate? Will you, you know, have anything interesting you're planning on drinking? My family's not very big beer drinkers, so I'm going to bring the Crispy Boys. I'm going to bring some uh, Italian Pilsners, some light lagers, some stuff that's really easy drinking, really approachable. I might bring a... Big barrel-aged stout for some people who would appreciate that. But, yeah, I'm thinking light is the theme of the weekend. Nothing says 4th of July like an Italian Pilsner. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I hadn't considered that. Yeah, Yeah. I like the style. We've kind of glommed onto it. It's dry hopping. So, in a way, way it feels like uh, something that we we should uh, be into. But, yeah, Crispy Boys, man, that sounds great. I'll get into some of those. I'm definitely going to get into some IPAs. I have to get it. I don't even know. It's whatever I have. I'm going to go through, and I'm like, I've got... I've got a cellar to work through. I'll just put something in the fridge and drink it. So. We should get together. We should. We say, according should. to Adam, we shouldn't even have a cellar. So we got to get rid we of those things. We, we, of those. We've got to try to drink our way through them. Let's, Thank let's, you for your sacrifice. Let's, <laughs> let's dispose of all those things. So, you know, one of the things that is really American about craft beer, craft beer in America, is the innovation. When you think of innovation in craft beer, what, what kind of things do come to mind? Do you have any favorites? Oh, man, that's a good question. I think the sour trend that happened, uh, what has it been, five or six years now? I mean, when they started going and... Going all kettle you know, sour? You can't talk about craft beer in America without talking about Wicked Weed. You just yeah. can't. And I know, <laughs> I know I know, that we're calling them some names and they've done some things we didn't like, but when they started doing their, was it their Angel series? Mm-hmm. The Dark oh, yeah. Angels, all those yeah. things. Those were just, I mean, those were fantastic. And they still are, if you can find them. And uh, the sour movement was really, it, it blew everybody away. So much to the point that we might be tired of sours. <laughs> I think I've seen some fatigue when it comes to like the, the really hardcore sours. But yeah, we owe a lot to uh, La Folie from New Belgium and uh, Russian River for a lot of the, the interesting barrel-aged wild beers. They, they kind of pioneered that. Yeah. And a lot of what we're enjoying now or have enjoyed has a little bit to do to thanks to them. Of course, these guys were inspired by the beers of, of Europe, Belgium especially. So... Yeah. You know, and another point that you mentioned already was the barrel-aged movement that Goose Island started. Yes. And the, yeah. the, the bourbon barrel-aged beers that came out of that facility, that was new. That was big. I chased it for a while. Oh, for now, sure. Maybe that is one you should sell her, by the way. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The interesting thing about that is the, the bourbon barrel age stout gained in popularity, got hot well before bourbon actually got hot in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So bourbon is hot as can be right now. And ridiculous prices for bottles. It's impossible. Cheers. Yes, indeed. It's impossible to find some of my favorites that I could buy directly off the shelf three or four years ago that got hot. But back when you know Goose Island was first doing this, you could buy this stuff for a song. And people were really enamored with the result of beer going into the bourbon, but didn't care at all about the liquid. And I, I find that incredibly amazing and, and hilarious, honestly. So we should have been able to predict that bourbon would have gone the way it's gone just based upon that alone. Yeah, for sure. And then honestly, it might be third wave, but I really like the assimilation of different yeast strains into craft beer. So you mentioned wild ales earlier where it's just that spontaneous fermentation. I really liked the brute IPA movement that came out of San Francisco. So that using that brute champagne yeast in the beer, getting a really crisp, clean, dry finish IPA. The amylase too was a big, mm-hmm. a big part of that. So you got the amylase to uh, chew through a lot of those carbohydrates that uh, that wouldn't ordinarily be chewed through, and you got your yeast. Chew- that it was a cool idea. I wish it would have taken off, but it was a cool innovation. I think my favorite innovation of all time is uh, from Dogfish Head, Sam Kel- uh, I always get his name, Kelojone, or uh, I always mess I up his name. Yeah, yeah, is that about right? Anyway, his <laughs> continuous dry hopping that he pioneered yeah. mm-hmm. for the 90-minute IPA, and which came before 60-minute, which people don't realize, right. was an old, like, tabletop football game that he put hop i think hot pellets on he just let it shake <laughs> duct taped it over the uh, the brew kettle and let it shake and slowly drip hops into the uh, brew kettle the entire time it was going based on what i read he uh he was only able to do it about three or four times before the thing fell apart because <laughs> he seriously got it at a goodwill or something like it's that. a good story and, yeah it's it's such a great story so man so many great innovations since, Adam, you're really, really into uh, coffee as well as barbecue and beer, I thought, and I gave you a little heads-up time on this one, what was the first coffee beer you ever had? So, it was a while ago, but the the Dragon's Milk line had a coffee version of it. Oh, they that did, came right. came out way back. I remember that one. We recently did a coffee beer show. Well, I guess it wasn't that recent. But yes, we true. We did one. The coffee pairs really well with the barrel-aged stuff. Oh, for in sure. In my opinion. And then I, I can't talk about coffee beers without mentioning the collab that Apotheos Coffee did with Ironmonger. That was a great beer. And the cool Shout thing out. about that one was was that it was almost a summertime coffee beer. Even though it was a dark stout, it was it was a 6.5%. You could drink it and not just, you know, call it a day. It was re- really easy to drink. And there was a few kegs still floating around town. Man, the first coffee beer. I don't know if I can remember the first coffee beer yeah. that I had. God, I mean, that's so many beers ago. Brian, can yeah. you remember the first coffee beer you had? Probably not. It might have been Star Hill, maybe Red Rooster. Might have been mm. the first one that really, really nailed it. That coffee in a beer is a, an amazing thing. Uh, I really enjoyed it when that came out. So, really quick, guys, whale beers, like uh, your bucket list beers. You have any? I mean, anytime you can get a Pliny the Elder, you're doing all right. There you go. I How think the- right now, for me, it's actually Pliny the Younger. Mm. I'm going to second that. I yeah. really want Pliny the Younger. That's, I get teased about it a yeah. lot, but I just haven't had a chance to try it yet. Well, I mean, to get younger, you really kind of have to go over there and wait in line usually. Or one of the interesting... How about some draft? Is it... Uh, I always say it wrong. Is it Cascade? Cascade? I keep yeah. wanting to say Cascadia, but like, I'd love to get out there and have some of their stuff on draft. You like the sour beers? Yeah. yeah. I have been there. It's a lot of fun. If you love yeah. sour, it's a great place to go. It's a great place. The stuff that just sucks the teeth out of your mouth. It's so sour. Yeah. They definitely have that in spades. Absolutely. Well, Adam, where can people learn more about The Nest? 
thenestkennesaw.com, or you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks for joining us. That about wraps it up for this episode of Beer Guys Radio. Join us next week as we talk with Ale Smith and Alvarado Street Brewing. For more craft info, follow us online. We are Beer Guys Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great week, and don't forget to drink local. Cheers. Mm-hmm.